What is the Jewish view on gun control or gun rights? So the debate over gun control in general in this country has been going on for a very, very long time. Um, it goes on even before this country to a period when, whenever, even before there were guns, people always had this question of should they have weapons or not. People want weapons to defend themselves, their families, um, from other people, from even animals. Um, people also want weapons for hunting. People always wanted weapons for recreational purposes. But on the other hand, stopping people from having weapons was an old way of stopping people from using violence. It was also a way for tyrannical regimes to stop the populace from rebelling. In fact, in the book of Judges, it tells us, that, sorry, in the book of Samuel, it tells us that the Philistines in the days of Samuel did not allow Jews to be smiths. They were not allowed to be smiths at all. If your plow broke, you had to go to a Philistine smith. So the Philistines then ruled over Israel. You had to go to a Philistine smith in order to fix your plow. Why? So that they should not make swords and other metal weapons. So they, have, they would not have weapons. They would not be able to rebel. So guns are around already from the 13th century. Um, they were around first in the East, in China, where they were first invented. They quickly spread across the world by the 1600s. Um, guns and cannons were the most efficient weapon available anywhere. Um, and guns today remain the weapon of choice, both for personal defense um, as well as for hunting. Guns, have, guns are the weapon of choice. But guns are also extremely dangerous. Um, guns can kill people both purposely and accidentally. You give someone with a gun a power over many, many people. They over, even if there are many more people than themselves, the person with a gun, especially a very efficient gun, can cause harm, m more harm without those people being able to stop them. Um, so in modern times, our country has created all sorts of, and also people in addition to knowingly killing, there's also many accidents with guns. So in modern times, um, our country has started, has created many different laws regulating guns, starting in 1934 during Prohibition era when there was a lot of crime in this country. Um, we passed the National Firearms Act, which required registration of all machine gun sales. Later, we required reporting of sales of firearms. Um, we limited sales of firearms to convicted felons or the mentally ill or minors we're not allowed to sell to. Um, we, at nine, nine, 1993, we required background checks for all um, gun sales by licensed sellers. Um, a year later, the government banned for 10 years the sale of um, weapons that were categorized as assault weapons. Um, that lasted for 10 years, but then Congress didn't renew that 10 years later in 2004. So that ban's gone. Uh, but today there are federal limits on gun buying, gun ownership, and in California we have many limits as well. Uh, but in 2008, after more than 200 years of debating, uh, debating the issue, the Supreme Court ruled uh, that the District of Columbia could not ban gun ownership because in this country the Second Amendment gives us a constitutional right to bear arms. So there's many parts of this debate and each five side feels very strongly about this debate. Um, central to the debate over gun rights or gun control is the question of safety. Pro-gun advocates argue we're a safer society. Um, if people could freely arm themselves and protect themselves, that would make us a lot safer. Anti-gun advocates argue 
that we are safer as a society if we had better control over who has guns and who uses guns. Or they argue, even further, we would be safer as a society if there were overall less guns available. So our question for today would be, what is the Jewish question? Now, looking at, in the United States, we have our Second Amendment, which the Supreme Court has ruled gives us the right to bear arms. We're not going to deal with that because that has no... Um, that is not relevant to our Jewish values. We're going to deal just from a pure Jewish question. What is our view on gun ownership? Gun? Should we own guns? Should we not own guns? Should we encourage others to have guns? Should we discourage others to have guns? What is the Jewish view on the subject? So saving a life is one of the most important values in Judaism. The Torah tells us, Lo ta'amod al-dam re'echa, do not stand by your fellow's blood. You must do everything in order to save a life. Failing to save a life is a sin. Part of saving an innocent life is the command to do whatever it takes to save a life, even if somebody's life is being threatened by another person, if necessary, to kill the person threatening the innocent victim. According to Jewish law, if one person threatens another person, the one who is threatening the other, the one who is, is called a rodef or a pursuer. A pursuer, it is a mitzvah to kill the pursuer. Someone who is threatening another individual's life. Now, even though this person is being killed, is it right to kill one person to save another? We still have to do everything to save a life. This is un- now normally you cannot kill one person to save another person. So if someone says, or even to save your own life, if someone says, kill this person or I kill you, you're not allowed to kill the other person. You're not allowed to kill another person to save your own life. But if someone is threatening another innocent person, that that threatening individual, that individual who is posing a threat to another person's life is called a rodefe pursuer and their life at that moment is considered valueless. And not only can you kill them, you must kill them at that moment. And so this would apply to any time someone legitimately feels that their life or anyone else's life is in danger. You can um, and you must kill the individual. Now that's not only if someone explicitly says, I'm going to kill you. The Torah says, even in a home break-in, where there is reason to believe that the intruder may kill you. You don't know that they will, but you never know. You don't know if they're armed or not. You're allowed to kill them. That is the Torah law. The Torah says that clearly. You can do all you can to save the potential victim, including yourself or another person, including taking the life of the pursuer. Now, of course, if it is possible to stop the pursuer without killing them, you must do so. If you can maim them, shoot their legs instead, you must absolutely do so. If there's another way to stop them short of killing them, you should do so. You are forbidden from killing them, and killing them would be murder. But if the only reasonable way you can stop this pursuer at the time from killing the person they are threatening. If the only reasonable way you could stop this pursuer at the time from killing the person they are threatening is by killing them, then you must kill them.
Not only are you required to kill a person in self-defense as they are actively trying to kill somebody else, you also have to kill preemptively if you have valid reason to fear that you are going to be attacked. So you've got to have valid reason. But if you have valid reason to fear you are going to be attacked, you can preemptively kill someone. And we actually learned that from this week's Parsha. In this week's Parsha, we find that the Israelites in the deserts are commanded to attack the nation of Midian and destroy them, kill them. The Midrash tells us why, what right did they have to attack another people? Because the Midianites were planning to attack them. They didn't have to wait for the Midianites to actually attack. As soon as they got word and they had reason to believe, and Hashem told them here, and Hashem knows, that the Midianites were planning to attack them, they already have to preemptively attack. And from here we learn that if someone is threatening you, even if they have not done anything yet, they haven't yet attacked you. They haven't yet attacked another person. But you know that they are going to do so. You should, you should preempt that, and you should attack them first, including, if necessary, killing them. Everything to save a life. The moment you have reason to believe somebody is going to kill you or another innocent individual, you must do everything you can to save yourself, your life, and the other person's life, including killing the pursuer. And a, once someone is a pursuer, their life is of no value. So, yes, Victor. So a Jewish policeman is justified in uh, shooting a, a, a person in the back who's running away. No. Because their life is no longer... They are justified if they are able to save a life the without... Life is saved. The if the, is running away. Only if there is no other... Well, then a life is not in danger. Only if a life is in danger... And they, there is no other way to save the victim, short of killing them. Two very important conditions. Life has to be in danger. It could, but it has to be a real, valid reason to believe it's in danger. It could be current, present danger right at this moment, or it could be danger shortly, that you know they are planning to kill you. That's enough. You know that you have valid reason, not just you have a suspicion. You have valid reason to know that they are planning to kill you. They said they're going to kill you. And they have the means to do so. You have every reason to believe that you can preemptively attack them and kill them, if necessary, if that's what it takes. Now, if there's other things you can do, say you can go to the police and report them, and the police will arrest them, short of killing them, then you have to do that. If there's something you can do to save your life short of killing them, you have to do that. But if there isn't, then you have to kill them, and that would give um, justification for someone to, for, let's say, a nation, to um, attack a terrorist who is planning to kill, actively planning to kill, um, even if they're not killing someone right now, but they're actively planning to kill, and you have no other way to neuter them short of killing them because maybe they're protected in a protected area where you cannot get to them. Um, the only way you can get to them is with a rocket. Then you do have the right to do so, according to Jewish law. So a person is required by Jewish law to preemptively ensure that they will not be killed. So it follows that when you're in danger, you are obligated to arm yourself preemptively to ensure that you will have the means to protect yourself. 
So anyone who feels their life is in danger, they're threatened in any way, should arm themselves to ensure that they are that they can protect themselves. Um, and this would only be if there's a real clear danger, not just because I imagine maybe someday someone may break into my home, but it has to be a real perceived danger. You have strong reason to believe there's very hard crime in the area, and um, I don't have law enforcement that will protect me. Um, I then will need to defend myself. For that matter, law enforcement themselves need to be armed. Society needs law enforcement that can protect people in a moment of danger. We, an example of that in the Torah itself, when Israel left Egypt, the Torah says they left Egypt, Israel left Egypt armed. Why did they take arms with them? Because they were going out into the desert. In the desert, you're in danger. They knew they could be attacked, and indeed they were. Not long after, the nation of Amalek attacked them. They needed arms. So when you're, when, as a nation, when you're going out into the desert, venturing forth, they had to take arms with them. They made sure to take arms with them from Egypt. It's important for a person to be armed, whether on a national level, have a military, on a local level, have a police force, or individuals who feel threatened, cannot rely on others for their safety, should have arms in order to protect themselves. Yes. Actually, that's a fascinating point that you bring up that Jews got arms fleeing Egypt. We didn't have time to make bread, but we had time to find the arms. Very good point. We did not have time to make bread, but we did take arms with us. Yes, very good point. It doesn't seem to be consistent. I don't know if we made arms. We may have already had arms in Egypt. We may have taken them from the Egyptians along with the gold and silver and everything else. They would have all been together. Maybe. So just as we are commanded to preemptively save a life, in the same way, we are also commanded to ensure that there, we have no hazards in our home or in our possession that can result in the taking of a life. So we have to ensure that we don't have any arms, uh, any, any hazards in our possession. The Torah commands us that if we have a flat roof, which was the common way they would build that back then, and they would build, they would use the roof. There would be a root stairs or ladders to the roof where you could use the roof, um, and that still exists, I believe, today in the Middle East. You must build a fence to ensure no one falls and is harmed. Our sages say this prohibition extends to all types of hazards that can lead to people getting hurt. Any type of hazard, whatever hazard it may be. Um, you're not allowed to, um, if, you, if there's a hazard, you're not allowed to have a hazard in your possession or you must take steps to remove the hazard. We have to make sure there is nothing dangerous in our home or anywhere under our control. Does that issue apply to guns as well? So guns on the one hand are hazardous. They are the third most common cause for unnatural deaths in this country after drug overdose and car accidents. Um, but most, most of those deaths are actually from suicide um, by guns, which still makes them hazardous. Uh, many of them are, homicide, are, are homicides. Many of them are accidents. Is a gun a hazard? So some argue, as the slogan goes, that guns don't kill, people do. And the truth is that that slogan actually goes way back in the Torah, to the very first parsha, the very beginning of Genesis. The Torah tells us about 
lemma about Lemech, who was a descendant of Cain. And Lemech taught his son metallurgy. His son, Tuval Kayin, he taught him to work with metals and to make weapons. And his wives, it says, were very upset about that. How dare you teach him to make weapons? You will become a murderer like our ancestor, Cain, Cain, who murdered his brother Hevel, his brother Abel. So he responds to his wives, I didn't kill anyone. It's not my guns. Well, he didn't have guns, but swords or spears or whatever he was making. It's not my swords that kill. It's the people that kill. Guns are not evil. They can be used to fight evil. Um, they're not evil themselves, but they can also be a, um, they can be a hazard. So guns can be dangerous in a various different ways. It can be hazards. And it is important for us to be careful about each of the various ways where if we do have a gun, how we protect ourselves from the various hazards. One way a gun could be a hazard is that if the gun is not used or does not work correctly, um, the rule is that if you have an item in your home that will, does not work correctly and therefore can be a hazard as a result, you must fix it just like any other hazard because you can accidentally cause damage to yourself or somebody else using it. Um, by extension, if we have a gun that... Um, Cannot be that may not be used correctly. Um, we must ensure that it is fixed or that it is has safety features that will allow it to be used in a safe way. Um, in addition, another th way that a gun is a hazard is it could be taken by somebody who is either a child or mentally incompetent, um, and it could be used in that way. Um, under Jewish law, a person is responsible for any hazard that could be taken by a child or somebody who is mentally incompetent, and then damage caused with it. Example given in Jewish law is a fire. If you have fire and you leave it unattended, and then the child takes that coal and then kind of drops it um, near your neighbor's haystack, and the haystack goes up in flames, you didn't do it, child did it. But you are still responsible because you left it unattended. So you do need to ensure that anything hazard that can be misused by somebody else is properly protected. And, um, and you, um, so we definitely need to have the same, under Jewish law, you'd have to have the same responsibility um, for guns as well. Um, it's uh, further the case that um, another way that people misuse guns or they become a hazard is people sell them or give them to dangerous people to bad actors, right? Who then get the guns and then use them in an evil way. And that's um, one of the greatest concerns in this country, even though perhaps not the greatest cause of harm by guns. Um, the first two are more common, misuse, you know, unsafe guns to start with or children or others misusing the guns. But, um, but it does happen that people sell it to bad actors as well. Um, so... Um, there is a prohibition in Jewish law against selling weapons to non-Jews who are going to misuse those weapons. We're not allowed to sell weapons to bandits, the Talmud says, or to people that will misuse those weapons. Clearly, by extension, we are not allowed to sell guns either, weapons to people who will, will misuse it, unless we know that these are people whom we can trust 
and we'll use it properly. So you've got to be careful who you sell it to on the Jewish law and Jewish values as well. Um, the final way, and this is the most common way that guns become hazards, is when people um, who themselves feel themselves that they could be careful around guns and they can use them safely end up misusing them. So the most common thing is that people tend to misuse people who thought they were safe around guns, safely bought the gun, safely cared for the gun, and then they themselves, the owner of the gun, tends to be the most common person to misuse the gun. Um, either a moment of depression where they commit suicide, which is the most common cause of um, gun violence is suicide, um, the most common scenario, or in a fit of anger, they use it on somebody else. Um, and so... Ultimately, it is up to each individual um, to judge themselves. Our, the sages say a person is forbidden to ever place themselves in a moment of to test themselves or to put themselves in front of something that can lead them to do something wrong. So a person must be well aware of themselves and if they have a weapon at home that could be dangerous and they feel, whether because of their own moods, um, that they may end up using it in an unsafe way, um, a person must immediately dispose of it, um, bring it into law enforcement or somebody give it to somebody who they know can care for it properly. But a person must be fully aware and cognizant to ensure that they don't um, misuse it, um, that they don't misuse it themselves, which is the most common way a person has uh, misused it. So based on the above, what we've learned, should a person have a weapon, should a person have a gun? So a gun is necessary when there is a real and present danger. So a gun is definitely necessary for, on a national level for us to have militaries that can defend us as a nation. On a local level, to have um, uh, law enforcement that are answerable to the public. That, and they can also have the ability to misuse weapons, and they do sometimes, um, but who are answerable to the public, um, who can defend the people. Communal defense. Um, and we know that Jews throughout history did have weapons for those reasons. There were times when we were forbidden from having weapons. Um, even when we were forbidden by our neighbors from having weapons, we generally managed to smuggle or secretly have weapons regardless. Um, so we did, we did have weapons um, for our own defense. Um, and, um, of course, that's only when the weapon is realistic for your own defense. It's, uh, your gun is not going to help you when you're hunted down by the government. Um, when you're a wanted person, um, having it's probably going to be suicidal. Uh, but if, if for a realistic defense, uh, one should definitely have a gun. If they feel their life is in danger and they're not in a place where they could rely on others, such as law enforcement, for their safety, uh, they should definitely have a gun. Um, one should not have a gun if they are in a scenario where they don't need it and it is unsafe to use, um, and, uh, or they don't know how to use it correctly. If they have children or incompetent people around that they don't trust, um, and, uh, or anyone who feels that they themselves may misuse it. But there's, of course, this middle ground, right? People who are not obligated to have a weapon, because they're not in real present, they don't have real danger. Uh, but on the other hand, it's not, there's no hazard for them to have a weapon. They feel they can trust themselves, there's no one around whom they cannot trust. Um, they know how to use it correctly. Um, so that's kind of the middle 
ground, where, a place where most of us would find ourselves. We're thankfully living here where we live. In, um, we live in a fairly safe neighborhood. Our chances of needing a gun is very, very slim. Uh, possible, but very, very slim, as opposed to somebody, say, in a rural um, area where you cannot rely on, you know, on um, others for your defense because they're simply too far away, um, or in a very violent area, uh, maybe in violent con- countries where violence is common. Um, but here we're fairly, we're fairly safe, and uh, most of us don't have a real present danger. Um, and uh, on the other hand, hopefully, most of us can at least learn how to use a gun if we don't know how to use one already, uh, and have no bad intentions and can keep it ourselves and others from doing something harmful. So we would in that way be allowed to have a gun, but would not be required to have a gun. Should we have one or not? So here in Judaism, we have somewhat of a, um, we have somewhat of a balance. In other words, you have to balance your own need for self-defense, however strong it will be, against the dangers involved. And so um, the, in Jewish law, we actually have this with dogs. Jews historically um, didn't have dogs as pets. Um, for maybe we could do a class on that one day on Jews and dogs. But Jews historically did not have dogs as pets. But Jews did have dogs as protection, used for protection. Um, and we did throughout, really throughout our history, uh, because dogs are great for protection, um, personal protection, as well as um, this town's protection to protect the town. They would have dogs around the town. Problem is, the dogs used for protection are usually vicious dogs, right? Dogs that could attack an intruder. Um, Those dogs can also attack innocent people as well. So here the Talmud tells us that you have to balance it. If you live in a fairly safe place where you have no reason to be afraid and um, unlikely that you have fear of an intruder, if you want a vicious dog, you've got to keep it leashed at all times. Because if it attacks somebody, and you don't want it attacking an innocent person. Um, on the other hand, if you live in, live in a very dangerous place where you're facing constant present danger and you're afraid of intruders coming in and that could really harm you, then you can leave your dog unleashed. If the harm, if the threat is really at night, then just leave your dog unleashed at night. This aren't really random people hanging around that night. Um, you'll really only get the intruders. That's the safest way to do it. If you're in a place where you really need 24-7 guards, then keep your dog unleashed. You can have your dog unleashed 24-7 as well. So it really depends on the threat versus the hazard. So you've got to balance, right? The greater the threat, the less you worry about the hazard. Even then, you want to make it as safe as possible. The greater the hazard, right, then the more careful you've got to be but you've got to balance that with the threat, right? If a lower threat, then you should take the hazard into consideration. Um, so, so, so for today, for us, we mostly can have guns. Most of us don't need it. Some maybe do if they feel a threat, depending on where you live, or maybe you have a particular situation in your life where you have someone out to get you, but most people don't have a real present threat. 
um, and don't need weapons, uh, but can feel safer with weapons. Maybe if they're, you know, a home alone, um, maybe they feel safer with weapons. Um, you've got to balance that with the hazard, right? The greater the threat, the greater you can risk a greater hazard. For those who have really no threat, you should only really have a gun if you can do so at virtually no hazard. Um, as we mentioned before, you keep it very safe, you keep it locked up, nobody else can get to it, um, and um, you ensure that you are always in the state of mind where you would never do anything wrong with it. Now, so now, interestingly, generally, when you have to balance defense needs and hazards, um, we often assume that balance would be numbers. How would more people be killed? And this is often the question we have in the gun debate. If more people have guns, will more people get killed or less people get killed? If less people have guns, will less people get killed or more people get killed? And that is always the debate. And everyone looks at the statistics and everyone looks at the numbers and Will more people get killed? Will less people get killed? And, you know, they, they balance the numbers. Look, in this city, there's greater murders. In this state, there's less murders. And they look at the different laws. And they try to explain them. And depending on how you look at it and how you could always, um, you could always look at numbers from different perspectives. Um, and they attempt to show um, how the least number of people would be killed. So the truth is, from a... Jewish perspective, when we look at defense policy, total numbers of death is not, in other words, the numbers of how many people will be killed, is not necessarily the best methodology, the best way to look at it. The goal should not be the number of deaths or the number of uh, injuries. Why? In Jewish tradition, every life is an entire world. Every life is of infinite value. One times infinity and a thousand times infinity. One times infinity equals infinity. A thousand times infinity equals infinity. Right? It's the same number. It has the same value. One life is equal in value to a thousand lives. That is why the law tells us that if there is a town of a thousand people and the um, a army comes and says, there is one person among you who we want to kill. Hand over that individual. If the person really is deserving of punishment, then you can hand them over. But if they're not deserving, if it's an innocent person, you are not allowed to hand over that individual. If they say, if you don't hand over that individual, we kill you all. We say we're not allowed to kill one person to save another. That's forbidden. Even if you say we're going to kill you all, we're not allowed to kill one life to save a thousand lives. Why? Because one life, a thousand lives is not worth more than one life. Each life, we don't look at numbers. It's of infinite value. Numbers aren't what we look at. Um, and we don't want anyone to die, no matter whom it is. Not one person, not a thousand people. So Torah has another interesting rule when it comes to defense. And that is what we could call the rule of safety. 
The ideal is not how will the less, least number of people be killed, but where will the least threat be? Where will there be less of a threat? Less of an overall threat. When will society be safe? There's an interesting law in the, in the Talmud about Shabbat. Normally, of course, you're not allowed to desecrate Shabbat by carrying weapons or killing people, but you could do so when you're in danger. Um, and we could carry le- weapons to defend ourselves from an intruder um, on Shabbat. But the law tells us that if there is a group that wants to pass through our town, and they say, we don't want any harm. Armed group want to pass through our town. We don't want to harm you. We just want to pass through. Or we'd like you to give, we need money. We want you, we want, we need grain. Give us grain. We're not going to harm you. Just give us grain. The rule is that if you have the ability to do so, you should go and attack them. Why? Because once you let them in, you don't know what they're going to do. Once you let them in, you don't know what they're going to do. The Rebbe said this law is very important for you know, the question of Israel and um, whether Israel should be giving land away to their enemies or not. Because you know, once you bring them closer, then you're making yourself less safe. So it's not about how many people are going to be killed. You're allowed to attack them, putting yourselves in real danger, even though they say, if, we're not going to bother you. Doesn't matter. If they present a threat, you're allowed to take preemptive measures to counter a threat, even if that puts you in greater danger. Why? Because creating, ensuring that your society or ensuring that you are safe is more important than is more important than um, ta- than not taking a life. In other words, we don't look at the total number of people that will be killed one way or another. Rather, as a society, we need to be safe. So we look at what brings the greatest measure of safety. What makes it the least likely that there will be attacks? What makes us feel the safest? That's really the question at hand. Not in which scenario will the the largest number of people um, be killed. Um, And this logic could really be applied to firearms Um, as well. Um, The question is not where will there be more deaths? The question is where will we be safer as a society? How are we safer? And I don't know necessarily the answer to that question. Um, If we, the only way we can uh, properly defend ourselves from real threats, I think is only true if there's real threats and present danger, um, then we would say that the only way we could do so is with weapons. Even if weapons are a hazard and can lead to all sorts of harm, it's still worth having weapons to keep yourself safe. If, however, we live in a society where there's really no active threats, um, and one, I think we could fairly argue that at least where we live, we do live in a place where there's no active threats, um, then indeed one would argue that you don't necessarily need to have weapons, and I think that might be the case um, where we live in our society here today. Now, there are other arguments for weapons as well. Some people argue that um, even without any real danger, they'd like to have firearms, um, which would be allowed if you could keep it safe, but definitely not required. Um, And some people say that they want to defend themselves against the unlikely possibility um, where the government falls 
and or the government becomes tyrannical, and they will need to defend themselves against a tyrannical government. In other words, they see weapons as a sign of freedom. It's what keeps us as free people. Now, whether that actually works in reality, I don't know. I don't think any society that had weapons and then a tyrannical government rose to power. I don't know if the um, if the having the weapons can realistically work against the tyrannical government or can uh, save the people and keep the people free and stop a tyrannical government from rising to power. I don't know if that's actually been shown to work ever. But regardless, the concept of using weapons as a sign of freedom is actually something we do find in Judaism. Um, in fact, we mentioned that when Israel left Egypt, they left Egypt um, with weapons. And um, one commentary, the Ben Ezra actually says that um, they, left weapon, they left Egypt with weapons as a sign of free people. That was a sign that they were free. That's what made them feel that nobody else would ever be able to enslave them again by having weapons. It gave them that feeling of freedom. So there definitely is some legitimacy to this concept of weapons giving you a sense of freedom. Um, a sense of um, individualism. Um, and so um, at least in Judaism, we would definitely support that. You're not required to have weapons by any means, but it would be definitely something, a concept that Judaism would support. Another reason why people have weapons is for hunting purposes. People like to have weapons, like to have guns, because they like to go hunting. Um, now, under Jewish law, you can't really hunt animals for food because animals need to be slaughtered according to Jewish law. So you cannot hunt for kosher food. In fact, the way Jews always hunted wild animals like deer is with traps. We would trap the deer and then we would slaughter it because you cannot... Spoil the meat. You spoil the meat. If you trap the deer? Yeah, you make it frightened and it puts chemicals in the meat. Oh, that's what Jews always did. Jews always ate deer and we always hunted, we always trapped deer and then... um, Killed it. I, I don't know. I've never done it before, so I don't know what it would take. You scare an animal, it puts those, all those chemicals in it. I don't know. But, the, but that's what Jews always did. We are forbidden from using, um, uh, from, from killing animals. However, a lot of people hunt not because they need to eat, but for sport. So what would Judaism say about hunting for sport? So um, Rabbi um, Batsala Landau, the no de Yehuda, uh, was a rabbi in Prague in the 17th, in the 18th century, um, and he writes in a very famous tshuva. He write, he was asked this question about Jews hunting for sport, and he makes it very clear that Judaism is against killing animals unnecessarily, definitely against killing animals for sport. And so Judaism doesn't believe in hunting for sport, in fishing for sport. Killing animals for sport purposes, not to eat it, not because you're hungry and you want to eat it, but for sport, because that's an enjoyable sport of killing animals or killing fish, that is not a Jewish value. And we should not be hunting for sports. For many people in this country, firearms are a cultural thing. They grow up, they live in a society where firearms have strong cultural meaning, strong value. People often collect guns. They're collector's items. There are a lot of gun clubs all over. Um, There's one here just down the street. Um, There's a lot of gun fairs. Um, A lot of shows, things that revolve around firearms. Now, some of them may be focused on self-defense. Most of them are focused on what's called a gun culture. In other words, it's become a very big part of their culture. 
Now, Judaism sees weapons as a necessary evil. We don't see weapons as something that we should be proud of, something we should collect as a hobby in any sense. Um, We see them, the rule is that when we built the altar in the temple, we're not allowed to use metal to cut the stones of the altar. Why not? Because the altar, or to, oh, we're not allowed to have metal even touch, sorry, this, the altar. Why not? Because metal is what was used for swords, or iron was used for swords, and used for spears, was used for weapons, and therefore it's considered a negative thing. Weapons could be used for good to save people from evil. And we will need weapons as long as there are bad people. But weapons are a necessary evil. We see ultimately, in, if there were no bad people, we wouldn't need weapons. And this is a very important halachic implication. On Shabbos, on Shabbat, we're not allowed to carry in a public area. Or from a private area to a public area, we're not allowed to carry down the street unless you have an Eruv. We once did a class about the Eruv, um, fencing off an area in order to be able to carry within it. But normally you're not allowed to carry. You are allowed to wear clothing. You are allowed to wear jewelry on Shabbos. Anything that is enhances the person, whether protects the person, um, such as you know, clothing, coat, or styles, is style, is something that enhances the individual, that is, enhances the person's appearance, you're allowed to wear on Shabbos and that is not considered carrying. So the Mishnah discusses the question, what about weapons? What if, in some societies, they would wear swords? I think even till today, the Sikhs have daggers as a sign of... Um, as, a, no, as a sign... Uh, no, it's a, it's a clothing, an ornament that they wear. Many societies had swords. That was kind of... The way they dressed, when they dressed up, they dressed with swords. So can you wear a sword on Shabbat as a sign of um, dressing up for Shabbat? It's an ornament. It's like jewelry. So the rule is you cannot because weapons are bad. Weapons, nobody is um, is ever enhanced by wearing weapons. It doesn't make you look better because weapons are a bad thing. And ultimately, Isaiah says that in the future times, we will turn our our, um, swords into plows. So swords are not ideal. Weapons are only a necessary evil. And therefore, we are forbidden from wearing weapons on Shabbat as ornaments. They're not ornaments. They don't enhance you. Even more so, there is a law where, we're, where one is forbidden from bringing weapons into a synagogue. If you have a weapon, you're not allowed to bring a weapon into a synagogue. You must leave it outside unless you have the weapon in the synagogue for protection. Unless you need it in the synagogue for protection. Otherwise, if it's just because you happen to have your weapon on you and... You know, you happen to go to synagogue and you get a chance to put it away. You've got to leave it outside. You cannot bring the weapon into the synagogue. And even in instances where you bring a weapon in for protection, uh, that you bring it in for protection, ideally the weapon should be concealed. You should not wear it in open because it's considered disrespectful to have a weapon in a synagogue. So in summary, we can now answer, what does Judaism say about guns? Or about weapons. 
We, doesn't, Judaism Torah doesn't speak about guns itself. It was around before guns, but it does speak a lot about weapons. So in a situation where there's a clear present danger, an individual, a group, should, must do all they can to protect themselves, and they must arm themselves when necessary, um, and can even create some level hazard if needed to protect oneself. Um, and however, if one does have a weapon, they should do all they can to avoid hazards at any time. Uh, whether necessary or just because they would like one. Um, they, they, they must do all they can to avoid hazards, making sure that it's safe, making sure that nobody else will misuse it, and making sure that they themselves are never in a state where they will misuse it. Um, and um, However, we judge safety, in other words, how much you actually need a weapon, not by the number of people who are going to be harmed, but by the strongest ability to be able to protect yourself. By how will you be the safest? Um, one can arm themselves against, one is required to arm themselves against the foreseeable danger, a visible danger. Um, one can arm themselves against a non-foreseeable danger or even for a sense of freedom, but one must be then very careful that that weapon is no hazard whatsoever. And definitely we should not arm ourselves for recreational hunting, which is forbidden in Jewish law. And we definitely should never glorify weapons or collect weapons as a hobby because weapons are all a necessary evil. And we do believe that in the future times when Moshiach will come, we, there will be no more weapons. Hashem will end. Um, all weapons will turn into plowshares or um, into other things. And we will not, once people are no longer evil, we will not need weapons anymore.